For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, Nathan, um, with the end of the year quickly approaching, uh, we thought it would be fun, or at least I thought it'd be fun, to update our list of uh, rip cars for 2024. What do you mean by rip? Rest in peace, my man. Aha. Yep, cars that basically we're saying a fond farewell to. Adieu, a vida zane. Yes, exactly. Goodbye. Now, we did this list back in the summer, uh, but thanks to our friends in Car and Driver, we have a more updated list of all of the vehicles that, uh, well, will be resting in peace. Yeah. So uh, just before you write your angry emails and whatnot and messages, yes, we know we did this list earlier. This is an updated list because there's more to add to it. Oh, yeah. In addition to the fact that we've actually had more time with some of these vehicles since that list. Yeah. But before we get to that, as usual, um, I want to talk about snow tires. Okay. After you do that, I got something to talk about too. All right. So uh, recently we... Uh, um, with the help of our friends from Falcon and mm-hmm. with the help of our friends from uh, uh, Michelin, we, yeah. we put on uh, different snow-ish tires, and I'm saying snow-ish on purpose, on our long-term Range Rover uh, and our long-term Tesla Model 3, Three. performance. Yeah, uh, and, and I did some research, and it was fascinating. So let's talk about kind of the different kinds of tires, right? So mm-hmm. once upon a time, there were basically three kinds of tires. This is going back a few years. They were all season tires, yeah. which were kind of a compromise. Yeah, that was a standard pretty much throughout the yeah, industry. It's, yeah, it's the kind you get today when you go buy a car. You'll get the all Almost seasons. every car has a yeah, Super Bowl yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're not snow rated. No, no, but they can be. But but in general, they're not. They're not. And so they're kind of, um, you know, a compromise because what ends up happening is uh, they're kind of okay in all sorts of conditions, but great in none of them. Exactly. And then uh, you had summer performance tires. Yeah, like like summer tires or, yeah. or actual, you know, track tires. tires yeah, exactly, which, you know, you get on sports cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had uh, snow tires. Uh, and back in the day, the snow tires were basically tires that had, like, big grooves in them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and sharp edges and sipes, those little cuts that, that allowed you to uh, get better traction in the snow. And some were studded, some were not. Yeah, or you could stud them or not, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, of course, um, like dedicated winter tires came along uh, by companies like Blizzak. I think those are the, probably the ones I know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, but, but Blizzak is actually the name of the tire from a different company. Right, right. But those tires um, had a magic compound. I'm mm-hmm. calling it that because it really is magic because I've gone on ice tracks and driven these things on pure ice, and they have incredible amounts of grip. And the way that they do that is they have a special compound uh, that, in fact, um, gets much softer when the temperature goes below 45 or 44 degrees, allowing them to actually 
get much better traction in snow, ice, and slush. Right, as opposed to a regular tire or an all-season tire, which would become hard like a hockey puck, and it would lose traction in colder temperatures. Yes, and they also have these little particles that actually allow uh, the tire to grab onto ice, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool, the, you know, the, the particles that are in the compound, right. a little bit of silica, um, and they're just amazing. Uh, but there is a downside to them, and that is after 45 degrees, uh, if you keep driving them through the summer, they will melt off. They will literally melt off the car. And did you know that, I, I just learned this when I was installing our, our tires, did you know that that compound uh, that provides a magic grip isn't in the entire tire, it's, it's only in kind of the top two-thirds of the tread? Yeah. So you can actually wear down snow tires to the point where uh, they look like they're good, but the compound is gone. Right, which is why they recommend that you don't run them during the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, wearing snow tires down to, like, you know, whatever that test is, where you stick a penny in there and you see the head of Lincoln, below no that, below that they're, they become pretty useless. Anyway, so, uh, and then recently they came out with this new kind of all-season tire, the all-weather tire, uh, and what that has usually uh, is a triple snow, what is it, three-peak snow? Yeah, for three-peak snow well, rating. Snow rating, yeah. Uh, and what that means is it's got the same compound as a regular all-season tire, but the tire tread is a little bit deeper, and it's designed in such a way to give you better traction in snow. Which is what I have. Yeah, which is what you have, uh, and which is what we got. So we got uh, our Falcons, which were these kind of um, all-terrain tires that mm-hmm. were three-peak snow-rated, uh, and then we got the Michelin Cross Climate Threes, which were also three-peak snow-rated. But then I was doing some digging on the uh, manufacturer's website, and you know what that uh, three-peak snow-rating actually means? Mm. Or you know what it's tested for? What? This is very interesting. It's tested for um, acceleration on mildly packed snow. Oh, okay. So if you have a three-peak snow-rated tire, according to the Manufacturers Association, you know, all the, all the tire companies get together, the M Association, you will be able to accelerate better on kind of mildly packed snow. But they are not tested for stopping or turning. <laughs> well, that, that's that's. I'm not problem. saying they don't they don't stop they, or turn better. I'm just I'm saying. I'm sure they, they do, though. They, they've got to stop and turn a little bit better than the regular tire in snow. I mean, obviously. Right? Yeah. Well, I don't know, but they're not tested for that. They're only uh, tested for acceleration. So, um, you know, you can jump to your own conclusion. Maybe in the comments below, if you're watching this as a podcast uh, on TFL Talk, you can give us your experience with the three-peak snow rating. I've had experience with mine because I have uh, trail trains. Yep. Uh, from BF Goodrich, and that is that the, they have that is their highest rated next to a regular snow tire. That's the best thing they've got, and it's been utterly fantastic in the snow and ice. I've had very actually the only issue I've had with it is uh, my gas mileage has gone down, but otherwise it's been really good. Um, and I think that tends to be the case, by the way, with a lot of snow tires because there's usually a little bit more mass to a snow tire. And also that they're not an efficiency tread like they would be, let's say, on a ro- low rolling resistance tire on a hybrid or other type of vehicle that's out there. So you have to be prepared to uh, have your economy suffer a little bit. So just keep that in mind. And keep in mind, guys, here in Colorado, we really do care about snow performance because mm-hmm. a lot of people like to go up to the mountains to go skiing or snowboarding or playing and cording. <laughs> or or the just snow. leave their house yes. and get out of their neighborhood. And chances <laughs> are anytime you go up in the mountains, you're going to hit snow, especially mm-hmm. in the winter. Uh, so we're not talking about like summer performance or wet performance or off-roading or off-roading performance you're talking about snow performance right um and the upside to all weather tires that are three peaks no rated is uh you don't have to change them out which is a huge upside let's face it yeah it is it is as long as you rotate them by the way maintain good tire 
maintenance, which in my mind is about every 6,000 to 8,000 miles, rotate those tires. It's usually a pretty good standard. About every other oil change is another way to look at it. Uh, always a really good idea to do. So my conclusion uh, is if you really want great winter performance and safety, uh, then definitely go with dedicated snow tires. Don't, I, I guess I, I kind of thought that I could replace uh, the dedicated snow tire with all-weather tires that are three-peak snow rated. It's not. No. It, it, our recommendation is, especially if you live in snow country, we have a lot of friends that have cabins who actually live year-round up in the hills, and many of those people have two sets of tires. It's a pain in the butt, but they'll go and replace those tires at a certain point in time. I believe they can go to a discount or whatever and have them swap them out of the vehicle. And it's the best way to do it. Snow tires that are dedicated for snow and then having your all-season tires and just swapping back and forth between the two of them. Good way to produce longer-lasting tires and at the same time have good security in all weather. Now, the other issue I'm having, and this has been going on now for two weeks, is actually getting the TPMS sensors to work in the Range Rover. And Alex, our videographer, also had the same issue with his RAM. Uh, so apparently, Nathan, all TPMS sensors, this is tire pressure monitor system tires, are not all the same, and mm. uh, they don't work on all cars. And what that ends up meaning is, like with the Range Rover, every time I get in it, I get this giant flashing light saying your TPMS is not working, and then a continually little flashing, which eventually goes out, uh, a little TPMS light along with a, like a little uh, uh, exclamation point. And it's really annoying, super annoying. Every time I have to go in there, I have to cancel it out. Don't we have a little tool that can cancel that out? It looks like a little gun or something like that. You go to the tire and take care of it? No. We don't have that? That doesn't exist. Oh. No. Th that, that, that was how you set the TPMS on a GM product. There's this little like, uh, uh, but yeah. it's only for GM products. Oh. Uh, and it basically allows you to reset uh, the TPMS sensor. Yeah. Uh, but the lesson we're learning is if you want uh, TPMS sensors to work, you probably got to go with the OEMs. Uh, and if you try to go with uh, the cheap ones, and they can be expensive, Nathan. Uh, we bought the, uh, so for the Tesla, we bought factory TPMS sensors. Right. For the Range Rover, we just bought them off the shelf. Mm -hmm. Guess how much the Tesla TPMS sensors were? Well, if it's Tesla, it's going to be expensive. So I'm going to say 100 bucks each. 120 yeah. All right. So that's, uh, what, that's almost $500. For four TPMS sensors, so wow. you know now you've got tires, and we also we also actually went down a size in wheels, uh, so we also bought wheels and tires, uh, and so this became a very expensive exercise. It's a thousand bucks a tire, nearly. But the upside the upside is when you buy tires and wheels, then you can swap them out yourself. Yes, yes, which you is can. nice, right? So you don't have to go and stand in line. Here, at least in Boulder, um, the tire shops are so slammed right now that this becomes a very painful process. Yeah, this time of year is really difficult. You can't even park a discount tire. There's so many people there. Yeah, we'll, so we have a pretty small one here in Boulder. Um, but so with, with tires and wheels, yeah. you just do it yourself. That's all you still Potentially, have to Potentially, or you hire somebody to do it for you if you don't want to get dirty. Oh, it's not hard to swap out Half for. the people you're talking about who can actually afford to replace those are not going to want to do it themselves. They're going to want to hire somebody. All right, you hire the local neighborhood exactly. kid. Exactly. Yeah. Get the neighborhood kid. Make sure you text. Make sure that after he or she is done with putting the tires on, you make sure that the torque is correct on all your wheels. Yeah, or get a torque wrench. Well, that too. That's, <laughs> well, the kid's not going to. Okay. All right. Or you could do what we've been doing, which is now gone to discount four times, maybe five times, trying to get the right TPMS sensors installed for the Range Rover, which apparently is not as easy as you would think. Correct, Amundo. But they're gonna, they're gonna, you know what they did? They were good to us after like the fourth time. They were like, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll c carry the cost ourselves of the OEM 
TPMS sensors, which are significantly more expensive than the aftermarket ones. So thank you, Discount. I appreciate that. Um, so that was nice of them. Bunch of bros. Thank you, guys. Hey, let's get to the topic at hand, and then maybe halfway through this, I do want I have a little rant. All right. Well, let's get to it, Nathan. So uh, updated list of the cars that we will no longer see in 2024. Yeah. Uh, and this is alphabetical thanks to Car and Driver, and I highly recommend you go check them out. Great. I mean, I grew up reading Car and Driver. Yeah. Um, so great publication. Uh, the Audi TT and TTS Coupe and Convertible. Yeah, gone. gone. Funny thing about this, I don't mind it. Roman does. He loves TTs. Uh, he loves nothing like them, but I, to hold a TT in his hand. He loves the TTs. Can't get enough of the TTs. I like the uh, five-cylinder turbocharged. Uh, it sounds like an angry V8. A five-cylinder turbo is a unique, uh, and that's the TTS, is a unique power plant that I'm going to be sad to see go. And who, where, I mean, what other car has a five-cylinder turbo, Nathan, besides the RS3? Yeah, I mean, uh, there were other Audis and, and, that had the and, five And let's face turbos. it, if you look at it, the current one, uh, it's much more uh, baby R8 than, like, the, the rub on the TT was always, and we had the first-generation one. We had the one with the baseball leather which looked really the interior was amazing i'll say but the rest of the car was but it was uh, the rub the rub always was that uh it was more of a hairdresser's car than a you know an all-out performance car and and basically it was you know based on a gti Mm -hmm. uh, same chassis uh and the first gen which we had um had so much aluminum in it oh my god there were like aluminum bezels around fantastic around everything basically yeah it was it was a really cool design Beautiful but. design, uh, and the car completely broke apart. This is from the from that era of Audi where they would last about 100,000 miles, and then things would just start to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it actually lost components as we stared at it. It did, yes. It ours, was was, ours was at the shop all the time. Actually, we ended up selling it to Toby, who bought it for his mother-in-law, who then gave it back to him and said, I don't want this thing. <laughs> it's garbage. Get rid of it. <laughs> we had the Quattro yeah. w- with the... Uh, we had the bigger one, not the two-liter turbo. I think we had the, the six-liter. Yeah, the V6. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the engine was fine, but everything else wasn't. Things just, just like just started falling. Like that Nathan said. Also, we had some issues with uh, stability control. Like the sensor started to go, so wheel stability, wheel sensor started, you know, started to give us. And it's not a very stable car to begin with. It's, to be honest with you, it was never built for what I would call uh, proper aerodynamic use. It was more of a Bauhaus design, and as such. They had to add a little spoiler to it to try to make sure it's stuck on the road. And they, just, there were issues with the first gen, but what Roman's referring to is a completely different car. Yeah, yeah. So, so of course, Car and Driver says the fourth and final generation TT was underpinned by Volkswagen's Group MQB platform. Yes, it was. In other words, the Volkswagen Golf, uh, though it's really not a Porsche 718 Boxster competitor. Uh, and uh, I think that's fair, but nevertheless, by the end of it, at least the one I drove on the track and off track, uh, it was really sexy, and then there was one uh, at the Audi dealership that I kept seeing as I kept driving from the because we drive by the uh, at least I drive by the Audi dealership on the way home from the airport, which I right. go to a lot. There was this one that was like a popsicle, uh, an orange fudgesicle, so orange orange sickle. So it was white and orange. It was uh, beautiful. Creamsicle. Creamsicle. Yes, yeah, creamsicle. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I, I lost it. After Leave that. it to the fat guy to remember exactly what the reference. So right now they have a, a bright yellow uh, F-type sitting there. Ah, ah. Okay. So so, so lemon meringue. The problem with the F-Type is now that they put the BMW powertrain into it, um, it's a better powertrain, but 
a worse design. I think the first generation, well, not the very first, but the latest, last generation F-Type was much prettier. Yeah, than the we'll, we'll get to Jaguar in a minute. Yes, we'll get they're, there. They're on the list. All right, and then speaking of the uh, TT's bigger brother, the Audi R8 Coupe and convertible also. That hurts me personally. Yeah. I yeah. really am sad about that. I, I love the R8. I know that, you know, it, they haven't done a lot with it over the past couple of years. I mean, they had one big change, and then that was about it. But, man, what a cool car. It was just such a great uh, departure for Audi at the time. I want to say it came out in, like, 2008, 2009, sometime, something like that. Sometime eight, around there. Uh, seven, maybe. Yeah, and, you know, it was one of the first kind of, dare I say, everyman Supercars, sort of, well, kind of. It was. It followed in the footsteps of the original uh, NSX from Acura. They're very similar in that respect. But for the original NSX, I, w- I would say it followed in the footsteps of the Gallardo, which it was based on. Yeah, but the Gallardo really was a supercar. This was an everyman car. The right. pricing was different, and the demographic was different. But it had the Gallardo's V10. Yeah, it doesn't matter what it had. It also had a V8 that was available. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love that V8, by the way. I actually like driving the V8 more than the V10. I, but I'm, I'm, I think you're missing my point. My point was that it was like the everyman supercar, because it was based on the same platform well, no, as I'm the Gallardo. I'm agreeing with your point, but I'm saying that it followed in the footsteps oh, of the what NSX. was established, because the NSX was an everyman supercar. Yeah. You drove. You owned one for crying out loud. You know what I'm talking about. I do know what you're talking about. I'm going to paint a picture and show you. Remember that car? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So here's the problem. There's some good news and there's some bad news. First of all, the R8 uh, was always a little tight for me. I don't know about you, but I always felt like it it didn't. For two people, it was tight. For one person, it was awesome, I thought. Yeah, it was a little tight. Um, best shifter ever, ever, for sure, the manual one. You which know, they got rid of. Which they got rid of, unfortunately, and defines kind of that bolt action term. Yeah. Um, but the good news, Nathan, is especially if you're looking for a convertible, um, I think they actually go for a little bit less in the coupe. Uh, th- those early 2010s now, mm-hmm. you can get those things for like $60,000 if you look you know, with a lot of miles. Ooh, let's trade what's left of your Range Rover for one. <laughs> Yeah, that's also another problem. You might end up getting upside down even at $60,000. I would pretty much guarantee it, especially the first time you go in for a service. But uh, what a wonderful car. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, wonderful car. Um, and I hope they replaced it with, a, you, know, they're, they're, you know, they've got the e-tron now. So maybe I love, well, the e-tron, uh, the GT. Right, Which yeah. nobody wants, apparently, even though it is the most attractive car Audi currently builds. So maybe they'll do a, uh, a two-seater convertible. In electric form, I don't know. Audi, I think... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. drove one of these damn things, and you suckers don't want one. What the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, I will, if I'm, Iron Man drove it, come on. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right, let's go now to Chevy. Uh, the Bolt and EV and the Bolt EUV. We bid fond farewell since we owned one. Mm. Great car. Actually, uh, really good little car. You know, I love that car uh, for the price. It was actually the first affordable electric car. A properly affordable electric car with a respectable range, we should say, because there were other affordable ones out there. 250 miles-ish. And we proved that it was actually pretty damn accurate, unlike a lot of other electric vehicles out there that were nowhere near their claimed mileage. The Bolt, despite its humble underpinnings, was very, very true to its numbers. And the other thing about the Bolt is the Bolt was what the Leaf should have been. Absolutely. Right? Like Chevy built the thing that the Leaf should have been. Now, there were two critical problems, which I think really hurt the car. Uh, number one, of course, was the battery issue, where they started catching on fire, and then they had first generation had to be replaced. But that, that did paint you know, all it, the it, bolts with a broad brush. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think of that, and you think of like the old Ford Pinto, which also had issues with fires. So yeah, uh, unfortunately, that is something that we remember about the uh, Bolt. 
And then the uh, charge rate is painfully slow. Was it 50 kilowatts? 50 kilowatts, yeah. Which is actually 49 or something like that. I mean, it was, yeah. So It's fine if it's a runaround and you plug it in at night. At, at home. At home, but right. road tripping, it God help you. Mm, yeah, that, that is one of the biggest issues with that car. But it's going away, but it will be replaced by, I believe they're going to keep the name. Uh, Mary Barr indicated that the Bolt will return. Is really? Her way of saying it. Yes. Okay. But I, I think her point was is that they're going to bring it back as a economy-minded Chevy product or G- GM product that you can actually afford. Because right now, a uh, majority of the EVs that General Motors are building are not affordable. Yeah. Uh, and I know that, um, you know, the Tesla folk out there think that a Model 3 is affordable. Oh, come on. But even with, you know, the vast amounts of $7,500 discounts, it's still it's not. not it, it, it's a tax rebate. It's not a discount. Right. It's not cash in your pocket necessarily. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, you get the local, you get the, in Colorado, you get another 5000 Ours, actually, if we had qualified, which we didn't uh, because it's a company, not an individual. But if we had qualified, we could have bought ours for out the door like $19,000 after mm. uh, the tax, um, you know, rebates yeah. or credits. Once again, that is, the, those... It's I know not it's cash, not cash on the hood, but it, but it matters because I've tried something like that similar and I didn't wasn't uh, able to qualify for everything. So that that and you guys might be in the same realm, but it doesn't matter. The point is is that the Chevy Bolt really was uh, the exception to the rule of how expensive electric vehicles are, and eventually maybe Tesla will finally produce this two or whatever series it's going to be, and they'll actually be building an affordable car. And it looks like they're going in the direction of making their vehicles more affordable anyway. Um, my other issue with it was, you know, you had the Bolt and you had the Bolt EUV. I couldn't tell them apart. I, I, I didn't know why you would you had pay to sit more. In them to really tell them apart. Why you would pay them. more for the Bolt EUV? Yep. They, they both came across as tiny little hatchbacks. Uh, the Bolt EUV was larger. I sat in. One I know. No, I'm not saying it wasn't, but like if you saw one going down the street. Yeah. 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 So, they looked very, very similar. Yeah. So it was. I think it just created confusion in the marketplace. Yeah. Like, hey, honey, I want a Bolt, and then you show up, and then you want the Bolt or you want the Bolt EUV. And I'm like, just. Pick one. Why do we have two? Yeah, actually, what they should have done, I think, is that the Bolt should have just, just been, been the, the EUV, yeah, right? Yeah. Because I mean, the, the the overall performance wasn't that much different, and you had more space. But it, it was one of the best cars I think that we bought this year. We bought for it for the money. Hell yeah! We bought it at the end of last year and loved that car. Hated to see it go. Um, it was very um, affordable, uh, very usable, um, and very fun actually to drive. It actually trounced a lot of our expectations. Yeah. We did this great video where we had four electric vehicles that we took on this particular course, which was really challenging for electric cars. And the Bolt, I would say, won the competition because we went, it, it up and over four mountain passes. Yeah, four mountain passes, uh, going back and forth. Yep. Uh, that's combined. And we had a Volvo, we had a Kia, we had the Bolt, and we had a Tesla. And the Bolt kicked everybody else's. Absolutely ass. blew us out of the water. And really, other than it's unusual styling which is the only thing I, I i think is kind of a negative i think it's a fantastic car such a shame that it didn't uh do better than it actually should have i think but anyway we should probably move on yeah so now we're chrysler uh and we're <laughs> we're to the 300 which leaves chrysler with exactly one car and that is the pacifica <laughs> to sell i don't know how you chrysler dealers do it but more power to you uh, yeah obviously uh about as about as american of a car design as you can get if you consider that the underneath is an old Mercedes. Yes, yes. Um, and they are going away. They do have a few models. I'm pretty sure by now they've already sold out of the special uh, hot one. The 300C with the Ronnie 485 horsepower, yeah, I, I, 6.4 liter V8. Yeah. It's got to be by yeah. now. 
the good news is, is that uh, Chrysler has already announced a couple different vehicles that will be coming in and not only replacing the 300C, but also adding to their fleet. So they might have a total of three within a year. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, I wouldn't hold my breath. Uh, two, I think. Okay. Cause yeah, because yeah. first of all, the airflow is coming. Yeah, but the original airflow got, you know, canned. Uh, so now there's a whole new airflow, so mm-hmm. that set them back. Uh, and I have yet to see any of the new electric platforms for either the Charger Challenger or 300, which all sit on the th- same one. I've, I've seen it's like... It's the STLA platform we're talking about. I, I've, seen, I've seen prototypes, mm-hmm. but I have yet to see like anything unveiled. So I would agree. I, I agree with you 100%. And so what we're waiting for is actually a production vehicle to happen in 2024, uh, doubtful, uh, that'll actually be with an STLA platform that we're hearing so much about, but have seen nothing concrete. Lots of introductions. I mean, you can go to Ram and look at the Ram stuff that they're talking about. Nothing's hit the road yet. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, there is a story out there on alttfl.com where you can read about the return of the airflow with a little bit of a question mark on it. Uh, and since we're with Stellantis, uh, let's talk about the Charger and the uh, Challenger once again. Yeah. Uh, they're getting replaced by, you know, beautiful, at least if you look at the prototype, uh, electric uh, versions, I guess. Yes, but, but there's more. But, okay, go for it. Okay. Uh, many reports have come out about a platform that will not only allow for electrification, but also possibly the use of the Hurricane Twin Turbocharged Straight 6 powertrain that's being used solely right now by the Jeep uh, Grand Wagoneer and the Wagoneer. Uh, this powertrain is supposed to move throughout other Chrysler products, or FCA, oh God, Stellantis products, whatever the hell they're called now. And this is supposed to be possibly going to this car. So even though the Hemi's gone, and it is truly gone, they're, they're, phased, they're phasing it out, um, the car may have an internal combustion powertrain as well, and possibly a hybrid powertrain. Nothing's been officially confirmed, but so, at the same time, nothing's been denied. So the only one that's been officially confirmed is the Charger Daytona SRT concept, right? Which we've seen now floating around for for oh, like two years, two now. years at least. But uh, unless I'm mistaken, uh, Nathan, uh, at, at the end of this year, will Dodge have anything left? To yeah, sell? They'll, yeah, they'll have the Hornet, the Hornet and, that's and right, also the Hornet. they'll still be they'll the Hornet, still yeah. sell. The um, the Durango, but not the SRT. I believe the SRT will go away as well. I think it's just going to be the Durango, the Hornet, and that's it. Maybe. Oh, and the van. Well, no, the van's going too. They don't. The, the, the Journey. Little, yeah, the, the Journey's been gone for a while. 
So I, I don't know how Dodge and or Chrysler dealers keep the doors open, basically having one or two vehicles to sell. It, that, that seems it's it sucks. And I honestly, with Chrysler, it's 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 been a conundrum. But what happened was I mean, still, there are more Alfa Romeos now that you can buy know, than Dodges. It's kind of crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Or equal amount of Fiats that you can buy as, <laughs> as Chrysler's. Uh, here's the deal. Um, Stellantis gave all of the, quote-unquote, failing branches of former S- FCA a chunk of money, basically saying you have X amount of years to turn profit or at least show that you will turn profit or else you're gone. And that was Fiat, Dodge, Chrysler, uh, I believe Alfa Romeo, and perhaps there's one more that I'm missing. Um, those are the ones, Ram and Jeep, they are basically saving the entire company, at least here in the United States. But everybody else, yeah. So that is why they're able to keep the doors open. And in the next two years, that's basically time up after two years from, from 2024. I think it's 2026 that they have up to, and then they're gone if they don't make something happen. So we'll see what I, happens. I got to tell you, dude, I am worried about our friends at Stellantis. I am too. You know, There's a lot inc- of people going away. That includes Ram. That includes uh, Jeep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know what the you know the French overlords, because let's face it, it's Peugeot, right, is the company that, that bought them in essence. I do something silly in your general direction. I had to do it, guys. Oh, Come yeah. on. I didn't say the word. Okay, all right. Well, you're that's an old Monty Python bit. Yeah, of course. Of and course. I, I didn't want to upset. But uh, I, I just, I just, I kind of feel like they're they're sucking all the money out of it, out of all the brands, and not maybe. maybe I'm hoping that maybe what they're going to do is surprise us with a bunch of new products. That's what they sound in, like they're going to do in the next you know year or so. But you know, canceling their uh, appearance. At LA, uh, at and SEMA, SEMA uh, and CES, CES uh, right. is not going in the right direction. It's Look, not boating well at all. The, the the lifeblood of any car company is new product. Mm-hmm. In other words, new cars and trucks. And and yeah, we haven't seen much new from uh, Stellantis. I, I, I was mean, trying they to think. just did an introduction of the new Ram. We've covered that ad nauseum over at all TFL and obviously TFL truck. But that still hasn't come out. I mean, the pavement has not been graced with the new Ram. So we're not seeing and touching the new stuff. It's not there. So the last program I went on uh, was an Alfa Romeo program, mm-hmm. uh, and that's fine. It's a Stellantis, but it's not going to, you know, it's not it's not the side that uh, butters the bread, right? This no, is, this it's is, like two percent of their sales at yeah, most. Yeah, you know, it's not enough to to keep an entire large umbrella car company afloat. Uh, neither is Fiat, and yes, the Fiat 500e. We will be hearing by the time you guys see this, uh, the, we'll hear a lot more about the American introduction of the Fiat 500e, which is their all-electric one, which might save Fiat over here on these shores. And, and then you know, I mean, it, it it doesn't fill you with confidence, direction of the brand, when the only Dodge that's going to be sold is a rebranded Alfa Romeo. Let's be honest. About yeah, that. and and uh, the Hornet, Dur- right? and, and well, also the Durango, which is the Durango, really right? old. Yeah, the Durango. Okay, the Durango is great, but so, it, it's, oh, so it's great long in the tooth. It, it so really long is. In the tooth, I yeah. still think it's fantastic. But anyway, but so that is something to keep in mind. We are concerned about our friends over at Stellantis. Let's face it; some of them are friends of ours. Um, they, are, they are some of our best friends. They've, yeah. they've been really kind to us. Uh, and have really been supporters of TFL. So, uh, you know, I, I worry about where, um, you know, they're going to end up and where the company's going to end up because some, and I, I you know, I, I don't, we don't try to pick favorites here, 
But as you know, we've you know had a love relationship with Jeep for a long time, and it has nothing to do with them saying you know hey we're your buddies we like Jeeps. That's yeah, just we love simple. Jeeps. Yeah, that's yeah, just plain and simple. We try, try to be really honest here, by the way, which I know like Isaac and whatnot are, are upset about. But guys, the bottom line is that you know we create relationships with Toyota, with Lexus, with Nissan. With just about every car company that's out there, we have a relationship. We have a couple friends that are embedded, in some cases even uh, former journalists, that are with some of these companies. And so, yeah, it kind of hurts to see them hurting. So just so you guys know what the inside is, we're letting you know. Anyway, we should probably move on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Ferrari F8 Tributo. The Ferrari F8 lives on in the drop-top spider guys, but the Tributo... The Tributo's going away? Yeah. I was I just going to get one. Yeah, were you? Okay, I was... I was <laughs> Whatever. Uh, yeah, I was heading to the Ferrari dealership I, I right told, after I this podcast. Gonna, I, I'm done. Yeah, but we can't, we can't do it now. I, I, I got to be honest, I don't even know what the hell an F8 Tributo is. I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. We'll leave that to seen through glass. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Italian? <laughs> I think it's her drive. <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll, we'll, leave that, we'll leave that to some of our other no supercar friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if if it was a super Shmee, it, Shmee, I'm just, Shmee would know. I, I Shmee knows, Go yeah. watch me. He knows all about. It. He probably bought one. Yeah, <laughs> but I have no idea what that particular version of that car is. Sorry. Yeah, I, I don't, sorry. And Ferrari, if you do want to lend us one, we'd love to review it. They're um, one of the few that uh, don't. They don't. Yeah. Really, I mean, I've only driven three Ferraris in my life. I wouldn't mind driving four. Well, there was a program for the uh, Parasangue, right? The Ford. Oh yeah, the baloney sliced thing yeah. that you don't. Uh, but we don't. It looks we, like a Toyota Crown kind we, of. We weren't, of course, on that list. And I'm Probably not. Probably because we mean uh, to it. I'm not mean to it. I'm just. You're I'm just not. Sur- no, I'm not. You're mean. I'm parasangue. I, I have no, no horse in that race, dude. <laughs> you said horse because the horse said the. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Never mind. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> now this is one we have driven. Uh, the Ford Transit Connect. Okay, the I got a tiny tell you, that Really ticks me off. Yeah. Man, that. Okay, so you want to hear what chaps my hide? Why? Ford was going to introduce, in the United States, a diesel version of this. Little tiny four-cylinder diesel, that thing would have been awesome. Now, we actually went to the introduction, this was awesome, in Chicago. They brought out James Belushi, who was, I think, extraordinarily inebriated at the time. He was dressed like a blues brother, and he did some dance, literally a song and dance, and then he just started doing push-ups. Do you remember that? I remember. I know you do, because you growled at some old lady who growled at you. It was the best thing ever. Oh, I remember these days. Anyway, this was... Five years ago, yeah, that we went or something like that, and yeah. they introduced this thing and we're talking about it. The Ford guys are like, "Yeah, this thing's gonna get killer mileage, have great range, and amazing torque." And we're all about that. I love vans. I know they don't get a ton of views, but it's evergreen, and so they tend to kind of lay around. All right, we never got one of those. More importantly, you never got one of those. They basically quietly made this thing up and disappear. And nobody talked about it at Ford. We asked them straight out, hey, what happened to it? They literally were like that. So well, It follows in the footsteps of the Nissan NV200 and the Ram ProMaster City. All the little vans are gone. All Every the, single one is gone. Yeah, it was like for a second there in time, there was this uh, belief that, I guess, everybody, small businesses, wanted small vans. And so everybody looked around and they all said hey we got one so from japan came the mv200 the ram pro master city of course was from europe mm-hmm. uh, same thing i think with the uh, uh with the transit connect right they brought that in from europe and then that market either got oversaturated or dried up but if you're a small business owner and you love small vans you better get yourself a used one or you know one of the last ones because they're gone or maybe get yourself a maverick uh, no 
No, no. You, you. They, there are are rumors that they might bring back some of these small vans as hybrids and/or electrified. So hopefully that happens, or you can get a Maverick and put a little cab on it, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's a real shame. I really like those little vans. I think they're so utilitarian and so capable, and they just were underused. It's a real shame. Yeah, or you can go full size, right? Because which uh, is what they want you to do. Yeah, because you're spending either thirty three dollars for one of those base model vans, or you're moving all the way up to about forty three thousand dollars for the base model larger van. And we'll talk about the Metris, which is also going away. So yes, and that's a, that's in between the sizes. Yeah, that's a medium. But let's wait till we get to we'll, it. We'll get to it in a minute. Yeah. So next. Um, and I remember going on the program on this, uh, the Kia Rio, the subcompact sedan hatchback are, are no car. more. I remember when I went on the program, I thought, this thing is so cute. And it rained the whole time. Doing a video in the rain was, I remember <laughs> I had to have like one of the videographers hold, it was raining so hard to, you know, to hold an umbrella over my head yeah. while I was trying to do the kind of the So you didn't get soaked or electrify soaked, yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's a shame because... It was affordable, right? Um, was it starting, $20,000. Yeah, starting price less than 20000 It was 000. the third cheapest car you could buy in the United States at the time. It was right there just above the um, uh, the Mitsubishi um, Mirage and also the, the Chevy Spark. It was like right in that same zone, just slightly more expensive, but you got more standard equipment in that car. It was a really good deal. So, Good car. So here's here's the weirdest thing, Nathan, and, yeah. and I don't understand this dissonance, but it happened to us again. So when Andre went on the Tacoma um, drive, mm-hmm. the very vi- first video that he produced, because everybody on all of our videos says trucks have gotten too expensive, was the base, the cheap, the entry-level Tacoma, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 the uh, uh, SR. Right, yeah. and it got no views. Considering you know it's a brand new truck, I mean it was over a hundred thousand for a video, but for us that for for truck, yeah. our, our truck channel is the most so, popular. So, so there's like this dissonance between what you guys say and what you guys want to see. So mm-hmm. all the comments are like, "Trucks are too expensive." Oh my god, can you believe it? And can then we do a tr- cheap truck thing, and nobody, but nobody watches. watches it. Yeah, like, yeah. like you, you hate expensive trucks, but you don't watch the videos for or cover the cheap trucks. So I, I don't know where people are with like how expensive trucks are or maybe maybe that's the politically right thing to be like i hate expensive trucks uh i love cheap trucks and then you know secretly you go and buy the well the king ranch there's a very good reason why (laughs) these automakers and these truck makers are selling these extraordinarily expensive trucks because you guys are buying them but on the other hand and i'm not going to lump everybody together out there see right now this is a car podcast and many of you car people may not have been aware of the fact that there's an extremely affordable version of the toyota tacoma that's out there as such i highly recommend you go over and check out that video on alltfl.com I, see, I was responsible by the way I did that. Yeah, I just think like, you know, a lot of the people who watch our videos maybe are watching them aspirationally. So they're like, hey, if I'm going to watch a Tacoma video, I want to see the the Uber Trail, right? The, the the TRD Pro and not the little basic one. I, I, I would like to think that there's both sides of that. Now, this is referring back to what we were just talking about, which is this little Kia Rio, right? Which is a very good little car. No reason for it to go away other than the fact that you guys aren't buying them. And if you look at the car sales right now, if there's a sedan or even hatchback that's out there, most likely it's being phased out in favor for small crossovers. Or apparently pickup trucks. Everybody loves pickup trucks. Well, everybody loves pickup trucks, but not everybody wants a pickup truck. Well, uh, that's not what Musk would say with the Cybertruck. Apparently uh, uh, two million people want that. We're going to talk about that in a second. I have a rent on that. Well, let's let's do it now because we're about halfway through this list. All right, fair enough. Okay, so... Uh, Last week, many of you heard Andre and I, and also Roman and Tommy, 
do various specials on the new Cybertruck. Now, I'm not going to go into the pros and cons of the Cybertruck. However, I noticed something that many people were saying on both of them, which is basically you guys hate Tesla. That was what it boiled down to. And there's a funny irony to that. And I just want to quickly address this. Um, we are critical of every vehicle that needs to be critical, right, uh, or that we need to be critical of. So, for instance, if a product comes out, let's say, from Chrysler, and it's not very good, like their minivan, which is mediocre and is not very reliable, we're going to say that. We don't have a problem with saying that. Now, the new Cybertruck comes out, and we haven't driven it yet, so we can't talk about the way it drives. We, we have no idea. We've seen numbers. They love to show tractor pulls, and other people apparently got their hands on them and, and drove them and said, yeah, yeah, it's awesome, whatever. The thing is, is that we talk about what the facts are. The facts are, A, you get the extra battery, you lose bed space. B, you have the little panel that comes up and, you know, it hides your stuff in the bed. That's great, but you can't see out of the back window. Little things like that we're going to be honest about. I'm not going to sit there and try to blow sunshine up your patootie, because I didn't say ass, um, about this whole thing. <laughs> about all this stuff. I want to be honest with you, and all of us do. So right now, it's 5% smaller, basically, than it was initially promised. It's more expensive than it was initially promised. And many of the components on there are a little bit questionable. All of those things we were completely honest about. Now, once we drive one, which who knows, maybe in the next five years, we'll, we'll actually get our hands on one somehow and drive one, and we'll be able to compare it against other vehicles that we've driven. Then we can give you our own perspective on how it drives. But for those of you who are like, oh my God, you already hate it. No, we're just giving you the facts. And everything we've said is based on numbers that they've given us. The, the problem, Nathan, is people don't want facts. They don't want to be... Well, they want us to be fanboys. Yeah, they, they don't want... You know, The way you make money in today's media world is you preach to the choir, right? That's the mm. only... And, and if you don't know what preaching to the choir is, basically you affirm people's beliefs, biases, right? This is what... Fox News does, this is what MSNBC does, right? He, he was both sides of that. Just in, okay. Right, and I in come from, I've click. come from an old school of journalism where, you know, you uh, try to be objective by providing fair and honest, uh, both-sided kind of uh, plus and minuses of whatever you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. or, or if it's straight-up reporting, you talk to both sides and then you let the viewer or a reader decide. Present that is, the that, facts. That no longer works anymore. Now mm -hmm. now you got to – there's like two ways you can, you can make money – you know, just the, it's the best thing ever, right? Uh -huh. Like that, you know. Or it's the worst thing or ever. Or it's the worst thing. Or there's a third way now, the sky is falling, right? That's a whole other set of, of videos that people are doing. Every time I watch those, I want to pull my hair out. Like when, you know, when a YouTuber goes to a, a dealership and the parking lot of that dealership is empty, then there's no trucks anymore or cars or it's full oh my god you're gonna get huge discounts right it's always yeah. like the sky yeah, is falling and, 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 the, and the thing that they'll have is like like a thing that's on fire with a graphic <laughs> right, and you're yeah. like you know trucks are on fire right now buy them now or else you'll never be able to buy them again and, and it's, the, it's to get you guys to click obviously and we I, do it too sort and the of. thing i hate about that nathan is it forces us to do these uh, these kind of clickbaity headlines as well mm -hmm. because when you live in a world where it's no longer driven by subscriptions, but by ad, but by uh, algorithms, right? Then you have to you have to work to the algorithm, or you won't stay in business. And what I mean by that is, so YouTube does this thing where you can subscribe, but then if you actually want to find out when we publish new videos, you got to ring the bell. Yes. But isn't that what subscribing is? I know, seriously. It, it, Why? <laughs> Right, and that's the reason they do that is because the algorithm picks the videos not that you want to see the most, but that YouTube makes the most money on. Right, mm -hmm. that's that's how that works. And the problem is, then we have to cater our videos in in a lot of the 
time to what the algorithm prefers as opposed to necessarily what, what we would prefer. So a lot of the stuff that I was taught as an old school journalist uh, no longer is valid in today's social media world. And let's face it, a lot of people don't trust news. You know, Trump came out and said all news was fake, and that kind of killed killed all the news outlets. Not that we're pointing any fingers, but it's also it's that's both true. sides. That's what he, that's, that's, but, but other people but, have but now too. other people have, have taken that mm-hmm. and basically that's what I'm saying. You know, it, it's the same tactic you use if you want to get rid of any kind of criticism. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, right. that, that's Any, exactly anything the easiest that's way to do it is to kill it from the head of the snake and just make, make everybody so, believe. So, so let me give you a good example of that. I'll give you two examples. Okay. All right. So Tesla uh, did two interesting videos that were basically advertising videos, right? Mm-hmm. They did the they did the video where they raced uh, the uh, Cybertruck against a Porsche, and towing also, a Porsche. And also uh, Rivian. No, they? no, no. They raced a Cybertruck towing a Porsche against a Porsche, yeah. same Porsche. One was being towed, and the Cybertruck, of course, won. Of course, right. And then the other one they did was they did kind of a tractor pull. Yeah, wh- saw that too. Where you know they 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 showed that the, the first thing that that you have to understand, they're not going to publish a video where the Tesla doesn't work, <laughs> or win, or obliterates the competition. So. So a lot of people in some of the comments I was reading were saying, look how well the Tesla did in the tractor pull. That's, that's not an objective third-party test. That no. is an ad. If, you, if, you're, if you're, The same if you, with the, doing the, the tug-of-war and the same with the other drag races yeah, that it, they produced. If, if you're taking your kind of objective critique of these videos, then, then you're not you know, making informed decisions. These are pure-out advertisements. If Tesla's publishing it, if the truck doesn't win, they're not going to publish it. Yeah, I mean, come on. Be, 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 think about it. Here's another way to look at it. If Ford put out a video showing the Mustang losing to the Camaro, would that make any sense? Of course not. So they're not going to produce that video. They're not going to show it to you guys. That's our job. So, That's what we do. So let, let's do our job, okay? Let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's talk about the, uh, uh, the, the, the pull video, right? The, the tractor pull video, sure. basically, right? We've done a lot of tug-of-wars, and we've done a lot of kind of heavy pulling, and there's really two things that determine how well a vehicle will pull. And, and this is tractor pulls as well, right? Mm-hmm. Weight, how yeah. heavy it is. That's why if you watch a tractor pull, they put all this weight on the front of it, sure, right? Sure. Uh, and tires. Yeah, that helps. Right? So in that video, if I'm not mistaken, the F-250, which I don't think was a diesel, by the way, had like street tires, so bad traction. Whereas the Cybertruck had those, those, all terrain, those good years that they yeah. built specifically all, all, for yeah, it. Yeah, all traction. The Cybertruck also has a lot of batteries, which are what heavy, heavy right? So now you've got the two things that, that you know that determine how well something will do in a tractor pull: weight and tires. And well, obviously, tons of torque too. Because yeah, and tons of torque. Yeah, but but that torque is useless if you can't put it to the ground. Well, that, I, I get your point, but the, the, you know that's. So we're not going to sit here and compound everything. There's a real point here, and that is, is that many of you guys 
look, we've owned almost every Tesla that they built. Actually, the only two that we haven't owned is the S and the um, Roadster. The Roadster was crap, and maybe you guys will actually agree with that. And then the S, well, you know, we those things are becoming very valuable now. What, the, the Roadsters? Yeah, they only sold like 1,800 of them, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. and we drove one. Actually, we were one of the first in Colorado to actually drive one and do a video, by the way, which is a very early TFL video. Anyway, going back to this, the point is, is that we've driven them. We acknowledge that the tech and a lot of the um, mechanical components in a Tesla, fantastic. We have owned several, four, four Teslas that we've owned. And if you think about it, we have a majority of a lot of the early Tesla stuff out there with the Model X. We were one of the first to tow with it and the whole Take it off road. Take it off road. That didn't go well. <laughs> so the point I'm getting at is that we're basing our information on what is available to us. And for those of you out there who are watching these little things that Tesla's putting out there and saying, oh, look how great they are. Guys, remember that they're producing something for you guys based on impressing you. They're not going to put out anything out there where perhaps, I don't know, it didn't work or it didn't win. I'm sure there were things they tried that probably didn't work. Yeah. And I mean, you'll never see those. Yeah. Well, that's exactly the point. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to go on that real quick because... The Cybertruck kind of fits on both realms, right? It is, yes, it's considered a truck, but also many car people, especially electric car people, are very interested in it as well. And, and we are as well. We want to drive one. We're fascinated by what they're doing with it. I want to take one off-road. We'll see what happens. And here, here's here's where I'm torn, right? Like mm. where they took the Tommy gun and they shot the, the Cybertruck, right? Yeah. I love the fact that you've got this vehicle that is in quotes, bulletproof, right? Yeah. So, so the, the enthusiast to me is like, wow, the little 12-year-old kid is be like, wow, you could take a gun and you could shoot it. To downtown LA, it'll be great. Right, right. But the, then the journalist in me says, why are they using a Tommy gun? <laughs> why are they using a gun from 1920? And of course, the reason is because those are low-velocity bullets, right? Yeah, they, 45 they, caliber might, might mushroom a little. I, yeah. Right, like, like a modern <laughs> bullet. Well, a 223 or whatever, you, if you, uh, an assault rifle most likely would penetrate that, I think Well, no, so. not most likely. It'll penetrate it through not just I'm one door, but both doors. nice. Okay. See, we don't know for sure well, because we haven't shot it ourselves. So give us one somebody, to shoot. You think somebody's going to buy it and actually take like an AK-47 or, or, or an M16 or something or an M16, like that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it might happen. I think it, it's, or at least get a door panel and like fire into it. That would be cool. I'd like to see that. Instead of like old I have some great sub, guns I'd like to use on it. Tommy gun bullets. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so you see the conflict. Like, like the kid in me like says, I love this. This is so cool. But then the journalist in me says, wait a second. Why are they using a gun from 1920? Anyway, enough. Let's go back to our list. Yeah. Uh, Kia Stinger Nathan, a sedan that's going away. That is a terrible, terrible shame, but I also understand that they weren't selling any. You guys wanted a rear drive bias, proper sedan that you could race around. It looked cool. It had good power, very affordable for what it was. Nobody bought it. And um, also all-wheel drive version as well. I totally would own one of those if I had need for a sedan, which unfortunately I don't. The poor man's Audi A7. I think it was better than the A7 in some ways. Better headroom, but, I thought. But neither the A7 or the Stinger are selling because nobody wants, nobody wants sedans yeah, or hatchbacky sedans. Uh, yep. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Which is a total bummer. Now, this is something interesting. Uh, the Jeep Cherokee, uh, a storied, dare I say, iconic name in the Jeep lineup. Okay. So there's a couple things you guys just got to know about this. First of all, Lots of things have changed since the reorganization of the UAW and their deal with Stellantis because they closed the plant down. Well, they, Belvedere, right? Yeah, Belvedere, where the Cherokee was being built. And now they have a deal to reopen the plant and build different things there, possibly a pickup truck and some other components and electric vehicles. 
they were initially talking about extending or changing the Cherokee. And I have a feeling that name is going to come back because a lot of you guys are already upset about the fact that the name is going away. I think that they'll bring the name back, but it's not going to be the same vehicle. As an electric vehicle. Yeah, or as an electric or a hybrid, possibly. Crane Driver says they resurrected it, the name in 2014, so now 10 years ago. Yeah, because yeah. it was and in 20 when it first came out, the 2014 version, that was oh my god, you guys hated it because the the, the style was polarizing, and they refined it and I think made it pretty attractive and it was a good vehicle. If you got the trail um, hawked version of it, it was one of the most capable crossovers in its class off road. Yeah, and then they, you know, they, 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 they were kind of early on that trend where the headlights were actually, you know, really in low. the bottom of the grill, and then mm-hmm. the little slinty lights were the running well, lights. Dr- were driving lights, right? Yeah, and then they kind of changed it. Uh, I thought the interiors were nice in those things. I thought they drove quite well. They were very good mountain cars because the turbocharger one came out, or the turbocharged one came out later. I thought they were decent, but there are some reliability issues. And the bottom line is that they just cannot compete with like a RAV4, which they do compete against. Yeah, I think you've got like one chance to make a good impression in life and in the auto business. And I remember when uh, the first picture of that came out, I think Jalopnik published it. it yeah, it it looks someone, good, someone snuck a picture it, it was, it. out of the factory. It was mm-hmm. badly lit. And I think that kind of set the wrong tone for the Well, vehicle. they actually, the sales did really well at first. Mm-hmm. They dropped and they kind of started coming back and then they just started fading away. But, but they were never in the game. Oh, they just they, they could not take on the competition head right. on. Right, the, the Honda, Honda CRV, no. the, the Rav Four, they were, or ne- even the Nissan Rogue. Yeah, they were never kind of in in the ballpark there. Yeah. All right, um, Mazda CX Nine, Nathan. Well, the CX. Well, that's a very simple thing. The CX Ninety came out. The CX Nine doesn't need to exist. The CX Ninety is in many ways a better vehicle, at least for drivers. And the CX Nine was brilliant. Don't get me wrong. Great car to buy used. Big turbocharged engine in it. But the new CX Ninety is a better vehicle. Period. And also, also, there's a plug-in hybrid version of it, which the CX-9 never had. It never had anything like that. Well, and current driver says, and they're right about this, that the CX-9 did have a really cramped third row for people or things. Yeah, And so I think that was also, you know, it was there, but it was kind of residual, residual, residual of third row. Yeah. The only one that's smaller than that is probably the Mitsubishi Outlander. That one has an almost completely useless third row. Almost. Yeah, th- this one, th- this one. I-, I don't know what they were uh, oh, the thinking next one? <laughs> when they brought this to America, but the Mazda <sighs> MX-30, of course, it, in Europe, what it's, a got, it's got a little uh, range extender, which is a rotary. Here they brought it in as a all-electric car with just over 100 miles of range and decided to charge $35,000 for it. So basically they created a California compliance car 10 years after the compliance car you know, was was initially introduced yeah. uh, and charged an obscene amount of money for it. I saw these being built when I was recently at the Mazda factory uh, in Japan. I think they're good looking, and I think the, yeah, they are very good looking. I love the cork. Mm-hmm. Do you know Mazda started out as a cork company? I didn't. Yeah, like cork, 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 cork. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, they, the, the very first in, in you know iteration iteration of Mazda was as a cork company. So mm. they they did cork and then they went. Uh, and did these, uh, they called them, uh, they were like three-wheeled, they called them trucks, but they were motorcycles because they had handlebars. Right, right, so but they had, they had like, a little truck back Yeah, yeah, now. yeah, they had these like little, that, mm-hmm. that, that was how they started out manufacturing vehicles. But yeah, a cork was what, and, and I kind of love that kind of nod to the past with the cork that was inside this thing, but... I don't know why they didn't bring in. I'm sure it was for like emissions. Well, they reasons. had a, they, there were a lot of issues with the uh, range extender. But my issue with that was 
okay, you don't have a range extender in there, you have terrible range, why not shove another battery in that compartment where the range extender was and at least try to get to 200 miles? Then that price would have made a little bit more sense. Take a loss. But the problem, the problem really is Mazda is a very small company here in the United States. They're no longer paired with Ford or anybody else who's going to bail them out. They do have small partnerships with like Toyota. Um, and the bottom line is that this vehicle, as though I really did think it was good looking, just could not compete and they sold almost none of them. And they're, they're in and out, done. Uh, it's a big loss for Mazda. They put a lot of time and energy behind this. And it's another failure. They, they failed with their diesels. Remember those? Yeah. And they failed with their uh, Skyactiv-X. X. Where was that? Never happened. They're and, very proud of that. Yeah, uh, but, but it, I never understood. It's not here. I never understood what the Skyactiv actually got you. I mean, maybe well, a more well, clever. Skyactiv in general, Mazda is in terms of their engines. Their four-cylinder engines are some of the most efficient in their class, and they're also some of the leanest burning. So they're very, very clean. And that I'm a Mazda fan. I oh, fully God, admit yeah, it. me too. My first yeah. car was an RX-7. Yeah, uh, and so is uh, producer Zach. We all acknowledge the fact. Actually, most people here have owned a Mazda at some point in time. I've owned five. Um, they're just good drivers. I, I think here's a problem for Mazda right now. Mm. Uh, uh, they've like like uh, Volvo. Uh, they've been trying to move up market, right? So they, I think they, Volvo is and Mazda wants to be. Yeah, and the problem I think is the name. Um, I mean, the reason that like Lexus was successful uh, and to some extent Acura is successful I'm Infinity I'm not so sure not about so and Genesis you know yeah, we'll yeah. see well, but, but, but basically it's hard to rebrand yourself as upscale when you have the same name as you know the, the vroom, vroom vroom was right yeah. So, yeah so maybe if, if they had enough but they're a small company and they probably don't have the resources to actually, you know, create a second luxury brand. No, well, they tried that actually with the Millennia way back. Yeah, yeah way back. Yeah, they're yeah. going to move in that direction. And they've always wanted to. Now, here's the good news. Uh, Mazdas, for their price, give you an incredible interior, wonderful styling, and excellent, excellent build quality for, for what you're paying for. And, of course, the, the star of the Japan show was the Mazda that beautiful... Uh, oh, that RX-7 thing, whatever that yeah, was? Yeah, I forget what it was called already, but my fear is that they won't build it. Oh, I don't think so. Well, uh, they'll build... So, they, they are talking about building electric cars eventually, but I have a feeling that they're going to be borrowing somebody else's powertrain or whatever to make it work. The bottom line here is that with this particular vehicle, that that hybrid system, none of it seemed to work for our market, and the bottom line is that it up and left, and they only sold a handful. All right, next one, uh, McLaren 720S Coupe and Convertible. It's being replaced by the SIF 750S, essentially a reworked version of the 720S. Uh, packs 30 more horsepower, according to Car and Driver, um, than its previous 710 horsepower predecessor. Now, look, we've had, thank you, McLaren. McLaren has loaned us cars, unlike Ferrari. Yeah. So we've had McLarens. We've actually given them. And to they've been wonderful cars, but. DePaul, our former Stig. Yeah. On the track. So, yeah. you know, we have a driver who is very capable of driving these things at the limit. Uh, but from my point of view, um, McLaren has a similar issue to Mazda, except that um, they have Porsche as a competitor. In addition, you guys don't click on McLaren videos. That's, that's an and absolute they all, they all, truth. Like, I mean, part, part, they all look alike. You know, they, they do look very similar. Look I mean, very the similar. P1 looks a little bit like the MC4-12C, whatever the hell. Anyway, the point is, is that we've done probably a half dozen McLaren videos since TFL's beginnings, 14 years ago almost. And Maybe we don't have the audience for it. Well, that, that's many of you don't care. Uh, you, you would rather perhaps a more TRX. production, yeah, TRX <laughs> or, or maybe a Corvette, you know. And I get that. I totally get that. But the bottom line is that 
for us to do these types of videos, you guys have to click on them. And if you're not clicking on McLaren videos, it doesn't make sense for us to do many McLaren, McLaren videos. McLaren, they're just not popular. Are, are technological tour de force, right? Yes. They, they, they're they're taking F, literally F1 technology and putting it on the road. Exactly. Uh, and my you know problem with them, I shouldn't say problem, but the reason I'm not a big fan. It's the same reason I'm not a big fan of like the GT4 RS or the GT3 RS. Right? These are race cars for the road. Uh, I, f I find them to be, um, at my old age, very uncomfortable, very unlivable, very unfun to drive. Super fun because what happens is they, you can't push them to anywhere near where they start to come alive, right? So you're driving them around on 30, 40, 50 mile an hour roads, and it's like it's like you know it's like you, you've got definitely the wrong tool for that job. And and when they do come alive is when you get them on the track and you start to feel, you know, the, the, the performance, the braking, the acceleration, and you can use all that. But who, you know, who's got the money to, to track these things? We certainly don't. Now, they're built for footballers and, but footballers who might actually go to a track occasionally. That's their point. Um, whereas, and if you bought the equivalent Porsche, you'd be able to drive it every day far more comfortably and you'd probably get a lot more for it, I think is sort of kind of where we're going with this. But the bottom line is that people just don't seem that interested in them. It's kind of a shame because they are extraordinary in terms of what's underneath the skin. Uh, so once again, here we are at the coupe board. Same, oh, yeah. Same problem. This is like, gonna be, you're going to hear a ton of this. Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes C-Class coupe and convertible. They've been replaced. Gone, yeah. Bye-bye. Um, you know, um, the Mercedes C-Class coupe and convertible are in this funny space where it's neither fish nor fowl, right? It's, mm. it's not big like an S class and it's no. not small like a A or B class, right? So um, you might say it's the perfect size, uh, uh, not too big, not too small, but apparently not because they're doing away with it. So I, I don't know what else I could say about well, that. Well, there's, there's one other aspect to it and that is Mercedes is pushing the electrification of all of their vehicles very hard and they do have substitutes or other vehicles that will be coming out in the near future that will take their place. Yeah, and now I do know what to say about this, the Mercedes-Benz CLS class. So this was actually the first four-door coupe, which is still a head-scratcher to me, Nathan. I don't know why the Germans got on this four-door coupe You're the craze. most European person here, and you don't know, and I'm really shocked. I, I mean, Sorry. I mean, I know coupes are sexy, but the sexiness comes from the two doors, and when you translate that into four doors, you end up with a backseat that's easier to get in and out of, but still has no headroom. Well, first of all, you're saying it wrong. Okay. Coupe. <laughs> it is coupe. Coupe. What is wrong with you, you scheisse? It's coupe. <laughs> coupe. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I never understood that trend. I know. Um, I don't either. I don't, I, and then the other one I don't understand, and maybe we'll be doing, if we're still around 20 years from now or whenever, we'll be, we'll be doing this thing about, like, you know, when, when you have, like, the X5 and the X6. Right, where you basically have... Make a coupe version uh, of, a, of a... yeah. You cut a, off the back, and instead of making it square, you kind of cut it off to make it a little bit a more... a very simple explanation for that. It happened with Motoman and um, with uh, Andre at the LA Auto Show. They were walking past one of their fellow journalists, and they were pointing at a vehicle just like that and saying, why is a coupe version of this, or coupe version of this worthwhile when it's a crossover and you really want it to be utilitarian? And that particular person looked at it and said, it's cute. It's all about aesthetics. That's the only reason why. It's not about aerodynamics, don't give me that, because you can't fit more people in there, you can't do anything else with it. It's just a ridiculous thing. So 
it makes sense that people think it's attractive for some strange reason. So the uh, next one is Mercedes-Benz E-Class Coupe and Convertible, but Karen Driver says, in its place comes the CLE Class Coupe right. and Convertible. Think of it as a two-door E-Class successor, albeit with a new name. Exactly. That's so, exactly so they're it. just basically rebranding it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, it's coming back. Okay. Uh, and here's the one that we... we <laughs> More Mercedes, guys, but I think it's the last one. The Metris, uh, which is a shame because I thought that was the right size, you know, not too big, not too small. Metris, that was medium size uh, van. All that's left now are big vans. Yes. Now, the Metris had an unusual... I actually went to one of the events for this, and the Metris was an unusual... Well, speaking of neither fish nor fowl, not many people really looked at it as an opportunity to turn it into, let's say, an overlander or an off-roader, or more importantly, an RV, which I think it would have been an ideal size for, but there were very little options for this van. So they didn't really have a super long wheelbase. They didn't have a dually version, at least here in the States. They did not have an electrified version of it, nor did they have uh, a full-blown off-road version of it. So it wasn't really sitting in the same ether as its larger brethren. That and also, it was pricey for what it was. And there were other vans that you could get that were larger for the same price that would basically do the same thing with more capacity made sense that Mercedes is like, yeah, nobody's buying it. We're going to get rid of it. Uh, and look, I get why, uh, let's say, HVAC contractors have the big vans, right? Mm -hmm. The Sprinter here in Colorado. I get that. I mean, you can put more stuff in it, yeah. more spare parts. But good golly, Miss Molly, if you had to drive that thing in New York, it would be tough. Yeah, this, Boy, that's, that's where these smaller vans, that's one of the many reasons yeah. why, you know, I grew up in L.A., downtown L.A., driving a little van around, much better than driving a big van around. All right, next, Nissan Maxima. Um, <sighs> Nissan is abandoning sedans entirely with the Versa, Sentra, and Altima. Yep, 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 yep. So, so all uh, Nissan, basically, sedans are gone now. The Maxima, gone. Yeah, the Maxima was this really extraordinary thing for, with them, a, a missed opportunity. Came out. Uh, this new current version of it with 300 horsepower V6, basically. Front wheel drive. Front wheel drive, that was cool. Uh, but with a CVT, a continuously variable transmission. And I'm not here to. to they to rode that horse right into. <laughs> right off the cliff, didn't they? Yeah, they certainly did. And uh, <laughs> it proved, even though we were told by other people this is the best car ever, and they only owned it for six months, um, it just didn't quite work. And I loved the styling on it. The back seat was actually smaller than the Altima, which didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. It had less cargo capacity than the Versa sedan. It didn't make any sense to me. The car itself was supposed to be the four-door sports car or the return of one. It really wasn't, because even though you had 300 horsepower, which is great for a car that size, you had a transmission that took a lot of that performance away. So it was sort of a missed effort. I know they did the best they could. And by the way, the platform of that underpins the Murano. I believe maybe part of that also underpins another vehicle. But anyway, the point is, is that it just didn't quite make it. Nobody was buying them, especially the past couple of years. And it's a real shame. The rumor is they're going to try to bring the name back in some form in the future, which makes sense because it's name recognition. So we'll probably hear the name Maxima come back. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, that's, that's all yeah, I got. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a shame, but we've known this for a while that it was going away. I mean, it was pretty obvious. So, you know, I was just in Japan, and the one thing I don't get, right, Japan has a lot of people. Oh, my gosh, Tokyo has a lot. So it's a culture that in some ways is obsessed with efficiency, right? Yes, of course. Right? I mean, they, they were the first to kind of build these cars with a bigger interior than exterior. Yeah, yeah. Um, they came out with the hybrid drive with mm -hmm. Toyota. And yet, when I was in Japan, Nathan, I saw close to zero electric vehicles. There were some Nissan 
Um, leaves. Leaves running yeah. around. There were a few Teslas running around. Uh, there were a few of those K car, I forget what the K car electric car is, but some of those were running around. Uh, but that's it, dude. Yeah. They don't have a huge infrastructure for electrification, which is strange. But nobody had it. Yeah. You it, have to build it. No, no, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. It's, it's very strange that a country... Well, but see, the Japanese have been very resistant about going full electric. Look at Toyota, which is their biggest automaker, one of the biggest in the world. <clears throat> Toyota is has been extremely resistant about going electric because they claim that sticking with their version of hybridization is the way to go. I'm not doubting it. I'm merely telling you what the facts are. That's what they say. And if you look at the people in Japan, it looks like a lot of them are basically buying that, saying yes. So a lot of the vehicles that are on the road are hybrids. Lots of them are hybrids right now. So so here's, the, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be an EV fanboy because a lot of you are like, good for the Japanese. And my question is, mm. Japan has little to none oil production, right? Mm-hmm. So wouldn't, it would, wouldn't it be logical for them to be the first to jump on the EV bandwagon where you can actually generate electricity through solar or wind or ocean currents, yeah. you know, as opposed to sticking with internal combustion when you have no oil production to speak of and then you can be held hostage by, you know, whoever decides that they don't want to support, supply you with oil? I, it's a good question. Uh, I would say the other side of it is, is that right now, in terms of making things inexpensive in bulk, uh, it makes sense that they are selling a lot of hybrids that are extraordinarily efficient, where even though you do have to pay a lot of money to get a liter of gas in Japan, a liter of gas will get you very far in a hybrid K car. So keep that in mind, you know, when you're, when you're sourcing through you this. You need a hybrid K car? Those engines are yeah. 600 cc's. They yeah, gotta, yeah. they got to have, like, phenomenal fuel economy. Exactly, and it's even better when they have a hybridization. But so here, here's the other thing, right? Yeah. Like, Japan, you go to Tokyo, all K cars. Yeah. All right. You go to Kyoto, very few K cars. Well, because they don't need them. You, you, you don't need you don't need them in, in uh, open areas compared to Tokyo. You can't, you can't get parking in Tokyo. It, well, exactly. Tokyo is is impossible to live in or, or park in. You have to get an apartment size that's basically the size of this desk. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So, so many people. I've, I've had friends who've lived there, and it's just it's very very difficult. So makes sense and by the way we love k cars and in the future you're going to be seeing some stuff with some k vehicles at tfl once again all coming tfl soon. yeah coming soon go to alltfl.com and there will be more soon well so. guys thank you for spending this hour with us uh, we really appreciate that you guys watch or listen however you uh, like to get your podcast either on youtube or you know at your favorite podcast platform uh, and uh, you know we, we, we try to balance this both from a visual standpoint and from an audio standpoint. So mm-hmm. sometimes that's hard, right? Like when we go and do car shows, uh, it's much more visual yeah. when we do a walk around than when you guys are listening to it. But I hope that you either appreciate it for what it is. And if you want uh, you know, more typical tests or more off-road tests or more towing tests where we're actually doing towing and off-roading, head on over to LTFL because we do have different channels for different, for different choices for you guys. Yes, and several websites as well, so don't forget about those. And guys, have a wonderful week. Be careful out there. I apologize for my early holiday sweater. I thought we were going to be doing holiday shopping today, Roman, so that's why I wore this. But anyway, guys, have a wonderful week, and I'll see you next time. Ciao. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.